hey, this morning, based on the fact I was kind of out of town this week and based on the fact we have a new members class that starts next week, I wanted to preach a message on church membership. So the title of the sermon this morning is, Does Church Membership Matter? Does it really matter? We'll be looking at a few selected passages from the New Testament that places an emphasis on the importance of being a part of a local church. I'll direct you there as we get going. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into our time together this morning. Dear God, thank you that you are our rock, and that you are our redeemer, and that we can rejoice greatly this morning because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our sure foundation, who is our cornerstone, who has saved us from our sins. And we pray this morning as we think about the beauty of the bride of Christ, that would be us, the church, those who are in Christ through repentance and faith, that you would encourage us this morning about our times together as a church body, how we could serve each other and love each other, and how we could honor the Lord Jesus Christ as we want to represent him faithfully to the world. So be with us as we look at this message together this morning, that it would encourage us and help us to continue to excel still more in our membership of a local church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I think you know that our culture is tired of making commitments. We don't really like to commit to much, any, much of anything if we can help it. You know, a lot of people don't really want to commit to a lifelong career. Uh, people today don't want to commit to a lifelong marriage. And people don't even want to commit to their weekend plans. I mean, I don't want to overcommit because if something better comes up, I want to be free to be able to do that. And so there seems to be all kinds of of needs that we have to just kind of keep our options open. I mean, what if I commit to something or I commit to someone and then I find something better? Should I stay with that which I first committed to or should I change my plans if something else comes up that I would greater desire? Well, let me ask you with this in mind this morning, how important is it to be committed to a local church. Like how important is that? Or to say it another way, does membership to a local body, a local church, does it really matter? We live in a day where church membership is on the decline and consumerism is on the rise. People love to visit various churches and consume the fruit of hard work and labor without really ever giving back. And people love to say things like, I I love the preaching at this church, but I really like the worship at this other church. They say things like, the church, this particular church has a really good emphasis on discipleship, but this other church is a lot more fun and exciting. Uh, People say things like, well, the service at this church is too long, uh, but the service at this other church gives you enough time to get out and enjoy the rest of your weekend. I got things to do and places to go. Well, what God is looking for is people who want to give back, people who want to be a part of that local body, people who care about one another. They actually want to serve, and they want to be committed to a local congregation, as Spurgeon put it, to the greatest place on earth. That's what he said about the church. It's the greatest place on earth. It's not Disneyland, people. Come on, it's not Disney World. It's the church, right? And church shouldn't be just part of your weekend. It should be everything around your weekend is somehow planned and centered around the Lord's day. I mean, we're commanded to come together to worship, and hopefully you don't see that as a pain, but as a huge pleasure, a great priority in your life and the life of your family, that as a dad this morning, that you make church a priority, that you don't give in to like, well, we don't feel like going, or we'll just watch it online. We love all you guys watching online. We know there's various reasons for that, but I'm just saying some people got a little bit too comfortable with that, right? Oh, I don't think we'll go this morning. We'll just kind of catch it online. And you know what happens when you watch it online, you know, got to grab a cup of coffee, got to heat up my coffee, let me check the mail while I'm watching online. Watch out, people, I'm watching you online. So, you know, I'm just saying, like, if we're not careful, it becomes so casual that we forget the importance of being here together. We, we forget the importance of really pursuing Christ together. Now, let's say that you have decided that you need to maybe go against the the popular culture today of not really committing to just one local church, and you decide to go against that grain, and you set out to find a local church to actually commit to, how in the world do you even make a decision about how to pick the right church? And what factors are you looking for? What what are your non-negotiables? What do you even think of when I say the word church? 
I mean, maybe when I say that word church, you have a vision of, of something that would be totally different. Maybe your view of church is more of an architectural view of the church. You think of that little country church on a grassy hill, you know, like you see in a Thomas Kincaid painting or something, a little pastoral scene. Or maybe you think of a huge mega church that feels more like an auditorium or, or even an arena. Or maybe you think about that strip mall church, you know, the church in the storefront, that new church plant right in the middle of town. Or maybe when I say the word church, you kind of think more of a home church, just together at home with your family. Or maybe you have a different view of the church. Maybe you have a romantic view of the church. You think about that, that church where you grew up. You desperately want to return to, to that, that image of, of hymns and of, of Sunday school and of potluck lunches. And you love that idea of playing in the churchyard as the sun sets and all the people were nice and they were perfect. Maybe you have a wounded view of the church. Your view of church isn't so nice. You've been wounded by church. You, you have a jaundiced view of the church. Maybe your parents were wounded by people when you were growing up. Maybe you've experienced a, a horrible church split. Maybe you've experienced a leadership involved in infidelity or in the embezzlement of funds. Or maybe you've never been able to just kind of move past the pain. When you think about church, it, it hurts. Maybe this morning you have a critical view of the church. You know, there's lots of people who have a very critical view of the church. Maybe you've been to lots and lots and lots of churches in your life, and, and you love to actually critique churches. It's kind of your gift. You know, you're able to critique them to help them improve in areas where they're lacking. In fact, you even like to yelp churches. Do you know you can do that? You can yelp churches. You know, people, like they yelp churches, like you go and visit a restaurant, and when you're done, you say, eh, too big, too small, it's too loud, it's too quiet, it's too modern, it's too ancient, it's too friendly, it's not friendly enough. You know, maybe as a critic, you are looking for uh, church's imperfections. That's where you specialize. You can see them. And you focus on those, those imperfections and you focus on your preferences and you forget to sometimes see the point. You know, you, you think, well, they have bad coffee they, they dress too formal, and that old lady gave me a mean look. One and a half stars. That's what you yelp the church. Right, that's, just, that's just part of human nature. We tend to think like that. And unfortunately, these different views of the church have left many unsatisfied in their pursuit of the perfect church, and they are looking for a church with no problems. And they're looking for a church that has perfect people. And they're looking for a church that, that has ushers that have little angel's wings under their coat. A church that has babies in the nursery that never cry and they don't even poop in their diapers. That's what you think. That would be a perfect church. They just want a church that only sings hymns in perfect harmony. Or that only sings the latest worship music. They, they're looking for a church where the pastor preaches perfect sermons. He actually sings the special music. He visits every member every week. And every weekend, he's hosting an evangelistic crusade. You think that's what the pastor ought to be doing. Well, my friends, if you ever find that perfect church, don't join it. Because then it won't be perfect anymore. Right? We are all imperfect people, right? and we, we are all have imperfect churches, and yet you know what I'm saying, you're not perfect, the church isn't perfect, because every local church is made up of imperfect people, and maybe some of you think you need to, to just go back in time, at the beginning of our country, we find churches you know, there, they used to be maybe more robust, we think about Jonathan Edwards, who God used to help began one of the great awakenings, and you think maybe he was the perfect pastor, you know, John, Jonathan Edwards studied like 18 hours a day, which is awesome for sermons, but I'm not so sure how well that works with mixing and mingling with everything else going on at a church. And I'm not criticizing Jonathan Edwards, but I'm just saying nobody's perfect, right? No church is perfect. And maybe you feel like we got to get back to, to the Reformation. That, that's when church was really church, or better yet, we got to get back even further, back to the church in Acts in the New Testament, 
I mean, there's so much we're learning in our study in the book of Acts, but it was far from imperfect, right? Do you remember what happened in Acts 5 when God killed Ananias and Sapphira at church? It wasn't a, a perfect church, right? Or how about the church in Corinth where there was gross sin going on and there was also people taking communion in an unholy manner and that's why some of them got sick and why some died, and what about the seven churches of Revelation? Surely you don't want to be like the church of Laodicea, where Jesus said because they were neither cold nor hot, he would spew them up. Literally, the word there is vomit them up out of his mouth. So there's no perfect church out there, right? And the churches in the Bible had problems. The church of today has problems. But God has still created us as Christians to gather together and be a part of a local church. It's vital for your Christian walk. It's vital to, in order to walk in obedience to Scripture. And you're not to be living your Christian life in isolation. And it's not healthy for you to just jump around from church to church like a frog jump, jumping on lily pads. Has that even happened? Do frogs jump on lily pads? They do. All right, Curry's got it from Idaho. From Idaho, they're, they're jumping on lily pads, right? You don't want to be like that. That's just kind of jumping all around. And so my desire this morning is to help you explain or help explain to you rather why membership matters and to give you five principles that you see in your outline this morning that will help you understand the church and hopefully, hopefully better commit to being a part of a local church. So let's look at these five principles together with some selected verses that we'll look at as well. Number one, the difference between the universal church and the local church. It's important to know that. There's a difference between a universal church and a local church. And let me just say it this way. Your next blank there says the visible church. I'm actually talking here just for a second about the visible church. When I speak about the visible church, I'm talking about people that you can see and they attend a church. And so because you can see them and they attend church and their physical attendance is there, then, then these would be those who would profess Christ and are at least somewhat involved in a local church, but they're not, they may not necessarily be part of the real church. You know what I'm saying? Just because you're a member or you attend regularly doesn't mean you're born again. So the visible church would be those who, who come and they look like they're a part of it. And yet with even the visible church, the visible church is, is shrinking. Did you know that the visible church, that, 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 that we can run statistics, I did a little study here and it says less than 15% of Americans regularly attend church. Less than 15%. That's, that's compared to 40% of Americans who regularly attended church just 60 years ago. So it's declining. Certainly another big decline after COVID, right? Uh, you have established churches, which are between, uh, the, uh, another stat, established churches, which are between 40 years and 190 years old, they are declining. Almost all older churches that are 40 years and up seem to be declining. And a third stat would be in year 2050, in 2050, that's like, what, 27 years from now, it's estimated that church attendance will be less than half of what it is today. Less than half of what it is today. Now, maybe it's just me, but I, I would enter my own thoughts into this, these statistics. I, I would estimate that only about 10 to 20% of those who are part of the visible church are actually truly born again. You know, when you think about the visible church, again, we're talking about all people who attend a church building on a Sunday, some on a Saturday, they claim maybe to be Christians, but they meet on a different day. But you understand that out there in those larger numbers of those who attend, you have a lot of very LGBTQ plus friendly churches which I would argue are not truly upholding the gospel and the doctrine of repentance and faith being in a life that's been totally transformed. I'm talking about the fact that there's lots of stats that, that also show that many of our young people leave the church when they graduate from high school. In fact, Lifeway research reveals that there's a sharp decline in the evangelical church attendance and, and for, for, for young people ages 18 to 22. And according to one study, 70% of this age group stopped attending church once they uh, moved out of their parents' home. Another uh, study said it's higher than that. They said this, quote, 88% of kids raised in Christian homes do not continue to follow the Lord after they graduate from high school. So what do you think about that? 88% estimated. They, they quit following the Lord. Well, we know 1 John 2, 19 tells us that they went out from us, but they were not 
of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it may become plain that they are not of us. So I'm not saying 88% of high school students lost their salvation. I'm saying they were never saved. And the reason they went out is they didn't understand what it really meant to be born again. And so when they had the freedom and they left the nest, they also left the church. I'm just saying in the visible church, there's a lot of people similar to how Isaiah addressed the Israelites in Isaiah 29, 13. These people draw near with their mouth and they honor God with their lips while their hearts are far from me, Isaiah 29, 13. And so, of course, as, as already mentioned, not, not all the people, even in the seven churches of Revelation, were saved. There's a lot of, of confrontation about sin and, and people who are in those churches. So the visible church, those that we see, aren't all born again. And that's why it's important for us to make this distinction between the visible church and then the, your next blank, the invisible church. So again, the visible church are those that you can see and count, but they may not be true Christians, whereas the invisible church are those who are truly in Christ, those who truly belong, not just to a membership role called the church, but they're truly born again. And they're invisible, I say, because only God can really see your heart. Only God knows what's going on on the inside. Acts 2.41 says those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And the emphasis I'm just trying to make there is it says there that there were added souls. It's not just about your body and your external attendance, because we don't always know what's really going on in your heart, but when someone's truly added, your soul is added to the true church, to the, this, this, what I'm calling invisible church, and when the church first began, as, as we've been discussing in Acts 2, all those who were added to the invisible church, meaning truly born again, they were also added to the visible church. So they were truly saved by the preaching of the gospel, Peter, there in Pentecost. And I'm saying that it was a natural forward understanding that if you are truly saved, you automatically become a part of the local church. It's just what you do. There was no maybe formal membership role that we read about in Acts, but we do understand that the rest of Scripture gives a clear indication that you're to be a part of a certain flock and that there's to be some type of local understanding. And what's happened over the years is you just have a lot of people who would say they're born again, but they don't attend any church. I just hear this more and more. Well, I'm saved and I'm a Christian and I don't have to go to church to prove that I'm a Christian. I worship God in my own way. That's always pretty scary, right, when somebody says that. Or they might say, hey, I worship the God of the Bible biblically. Then I'll say, great, then you ought to be in church. And they say, well, what does the Bible say I have to be in church? And I'm like, well, let me show you. And that's what this message is about. It's a, it's a lot of verses that paint a picture, that make it clear that we ought to be a part of a local assembly. You know, in fact, John MacArthur said years ago, it together for the gospel. I was sitting there and together for the gospel in Louisville, Kentucky, appreciating great preaching from various you know heroes of the faith. And I remember he got up and he said, "The greatest evangelical missionary field there is today exists in the church." And I thought to myself when he said that, I'm like, "What is he talking about? You know, what do you mean the churches are? You know, we got the gospel. We need to evangelize the world." He's like, "No, we need to be evangelizing the church." people who think they're saved, but they're not really saved, kind of like Paul Washer's, you know, video on the American church, you know, it's that, that remind you that there's so many people involved, so many people attend, and their hearts have never really truly repented, and they're walking in some type of, of secret sin, or they're walking in some type of, of major doubt, and they're not walking in adherence and obedience to the gospel that would transform your life and it would transform your marriage and it would transform what you think and what you do. They're not really radically saved. Jesus, of course, talks about this when he even talks about the sheep and the goat's judgment in Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and, and, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then it says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. And I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. 
Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And those will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, I believe that the timing of that judgment eschatologically would be fulfilled at the end of the tribulation, but it does serve as a stark warning and an illustration for those of us even living today in the church age. And certainly, Jesus taught this clearly in the Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. But Jesus goes on to say, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, you want to see the difference? It's not just those who say, Lord, Lord, it's those who walk in obedience. And he's not saying that you have to walk in order to earn your salvation. He's saying those who walk evidence the fact they have been transformed all by grace, but they want to adhere to the, the, the law of God, the word of God. And so we understand that that even though on that day, Jesus goes on to say, some will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. That's what he's gonna say to, I believe the majority of people who attend a church, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So which one are you this morning? I wonder, are you part of the visible church or are you part of the invisible church? Are you part of the culture around church where you attend week in and week out? Or are you part of the true church of God that, that your heart has been radically transformed? You're part of, of the invisible church. And how will you know? How will you know? Well, according to Jesus, are you doing the will of the Father? Are you walking in repentance? Are you walking in faith? Are you walking in obedience? And none of us are perfect. We understand that, but there's a effort that we put forth in our sanctification that only the Holy Spirit can empower us to walk in the spirit and not the flesh, but we, we're, we're, we're walking according to that, that truth that we see in scripture in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus. Well, let's look at a, a second heading this morning. Number two, let's talk a little bit more about the description of the local church because we mentioned a minute ago about the, the, the uh, universal church or what, what maybe I would call the global church and then the, the, the local church. So just speaking of the local church, your next blank says it, it's an assembly. That's the word assembly, your next blank, an assembly of believers. That's what the local church is. And, and, and the word used for church in the New Testament, most of you probably know, is the word ecclesia. That's the word in the original, ecclesia. And this word could be translated as a church or it could be translated as a gathering. It could be translated as an assembly. It could be translated even as a congregation. And literally, the word ecclesia is just simply talking about a group of people who are gathered together for a common cause. And the cause ought to be Christ, right? That the church gathers together to worship Christ, to exalt Christ, to live for Christ. I mean, listen to how the word ecclesia is used in some key places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. I'm just saying that's a reminder, there's a local church. He says, to the church of God, the gathering of God in Corinth. Or 1 Corinthians 16, 19, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. So we know that there's certain churches that were planted from, from the church in Acts to, to spread out into Asia or about Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches, plural, of Galatia. We understand there's local churches, there's more than one church even in a local area. Some people make the argument that, oh, there should only be one church in Santa Clarita. I talked to a guy about this a few years ago, and he's like, there's just one church, and we should all be together. And I'm like, well, I appreciate, you know, that that sounds good, but it's just not realistic. And in the Bible, it never talks about every city is only one church, even in Galatia. I know Galatia is a region, but it, there's just, there's understanding it's okay to have more than, than one church, 
1 Thessalonians 1, 1, Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We understand in Revelation 1, 1, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to those in Laodicea. And so we see from all these texts that a church is an assembly of believers who are to be active in their walk with Christ. In fact, I would say that the church provides an opportunity, your next blank, the church, a local church specifically, provides the opportunity for you to practice the one and others. The one and others of Scripture are commands and the New Testament of how we are to interact with each other. And it's really hard for those who are not part of a local church to fulfill these one another's consistently or to fulfill these one another's passionately. It's just really hard because they're not really plugged in to any local assembly. They're just kind of namby-damby going about their day and they might try to be a witness for Christ, but it's really hard to, to practice the one another's. We are to love one another. John 13, 34, and 35. We are to be at peace with one another, Mark 9, 50. We're to be devoted to one another, Romans 12, 10. We're to be carrying one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. We're to be patient with one another in love, Ephesians 4, 2. We're to be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4, 32. We're to forgive each other, Ephesians 4, 32. We're to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5, 19. We're to consider others as better than yourself, Philippians 2.3. We're to admonish one another, Colossians 3.18. We're to encourage one another, Hebrews 10.25. We're to pray for each other, James 5.16. That's just like 12 or 13. There's 59 times in the New Testament where we're commanded to one another, one another, to love and pray for and encourage and admonish one another. And I'm just saying to you, if you're not a member of the local church, then when and how do you practice these commands? Now, I, I get it. Part of the time we pray for other Christians. I fellowship with other Christians. I told you we just fellowship with 10,000 presumably believers at the Nashville Conference, and it was a glorious time. And we have all of us here, have lots of friends right here in Santa Clarita or down in the San Fernando Valley. And you're like, man, those are great churches. And those are great people. And I actually used to go there. And so I get it. We can still pray and encourage one another, but it's not the same. Not the same because it's sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind. Well, you may not see that friend or think of that church for months. So how do you, in the meantime, practice the one and others regularly together? If you're not a member of a local church, then how do you do that? I love what John Stott said about the church. He said this, quote, If the church is central to God's purpose, as seen both in history and in the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? I appreciate that. It's just a reminder. Church isn't, isn't just something that, that, that's, that's a, you know, optional for the Christian. Is the church central to your thinking? Does your life revolve around the church and its ministries? Or, or do you have more of that consumer mindset where you just come and take what you want and then, and, and then you never give back and you just kind of move on to the next church with never getting really involved? The third description of the local church is that it's a place to be, your next blank, a place to be shepherded. The church, particularly the local church, it's a place to be shepherded. We've been discussing in the book of Acts how Christ appointed apostles and how those apostles appointed the first elders and then those elders were instructed to appoint uh, new elders in, in churches that were being established like, like in Titus chapter 1 uh, verse 5 it says uh, as Paul's writing to Titus he says this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order so we say, hey, we got the Isle of Crete, we got some new believers, we've been doing some mission work, and we got to put this into order. We don't want it just to be like, oh, everybody, you know, all the Christians in Crete. He says, let's put it into order, and let's do what? He says, let's appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
And so that, that was what was commanded by the Apostle Paul to Titus. Look, we need to form elders. We need, in other words, we need to form local churches in, in these places where we've been. This is what Paul says as well to the Ephesian elders as we read a few months back in Acts 20, verse 28, where he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Paul says to those elders, pay, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. So watch out for your own life. Watch your doctrine. Watch your life. But you've got to also watch out for the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, he's speaking again to the elders, to, he's made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. If you want to see a little bit more, let me have you turn to this passage. I told you we have a lot of verses I'm just kind of reading out to you. But turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 really captures the heart of what, what we're saying now at this moment about apostles appointing elders, elders appointing other elders, and then those elders being responsible to exercise oversight over a particular flock. You know, nowhere does he say that every elder has authority over the entire global church. It just wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be appropriate. We don't believe in the apostolic authority that was given to the original 12 and then to Paul. Right? We, we believe that that authority was then given to elders and then the elders assume authority over, only over a local congregation. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, where Peter's writing to the church, presumably in Rome, and he's an apostle, but he also considers himself an elder. He wants to encourage the, the elders there. So he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So we see some progression of Peter himself, the author of the book, kind of moving in his emphasis from the apostolic authority to just being a, a regular old elder, because that's what's going to be going on from, from now forward. And he says, I exhort the elders as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Christ is just reminding us, I was with the Lord, and I do have authority to say what I'm going to say. I was with Jesus, and, 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 and I was a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, possibly a reference to the fact that Peter was there with Jesus on, 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 on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was there with Jesus in, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was there with Jesus when Jesus raised up uh, someone from the dead. There were special times where he was really up close, and then he says this, to those elders and to the church really in Rome, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So just from this one passage alone, it's very clear that an elder has a responsibility to shepherd a particular group of people. And my question is, who is that particular group? And he says, it's the flock of God. And in this context, is he talking about a universal flock or a local flock? And I would argue that he's talking about a local flock because as an elder, you can't shepherd the global flock. I mean, you can give encouragement and you can give you know, pre preaching and, and singing and testimony, but you can't shepherd the global flock. Every elder would be assigned would be given the task, the privilege, the opportunity to shepherd a local flock. That the, it says there in verse 2, it's the flock that's among you. Presumably they're in your context, they're in your area, they're together in the same, in the same kind of a place. And, and you're exercising oversight, again, not domineering, it says here, not under compulsion, so you're not doing it so much out of duty as a willingness, and then you're, you're doing it not to just make a buck, or in this case for shameful gain, but you're doing so eagerly, and then you're not domineering again over those in your charge. Who are those in your charge? I would argue it's those who are members of your church. And you would say, yeah, but I, I thought you said the Bible doesn't say you shall be a member. And I, I'm saying it doesn't say those words, you shall be a member. It's just understood that if you're part of the invisible church, you're truly born again and your soul belongs to the Lord, then you would naturally and spiritually be expected to be a part of a local assembly, a local gathering where, where you could be shepherded. But what I'm saying is that if God commands shepherds to shepherd a particular flock, then it's understood that, that we also are sheep who need to be shepherded. And in order to be shepherded, I need to be a part of a local flock. I need to be a part of a body. 
I need to have some type of understanding that I belong to this church. I mean, I belong ultimately to Christ, but on earth, I belong to this church, and these elders provide care and oversight over my soul, over my marriage, over my life, but they're not doing so in a domineering way because as soon as I say that, everybody like, you know, like, oh, I don't want some elder telling me what to do. Listen, we never tell anybody what to do unless it has to do with sin. That's where it comes in. That's where it gets nitty gritty, right? We never tell somebody what job you have to take or even who you have to marry. But if somebody wants to marry a non-believer, we step in and say, you know what? The Bible says not to do that. The Bible couldn't be more clear not to be unequally yoked. The Bible couldn't be more clear, so we have to step in if somebody's practicing an alternative lifestyle outside of repentance and faith and still wants to be a part of the church. Somebody's got to step in. And what happens is people today, you remember they're consumers, so they bounce around, and as soon as it starts getting a little hot, they bounce to another church. And they say, you know what, I think I'm done with this. I don't need all that. I'm out of here. And we're saying at Placerita, not so fast, because we love you too much. We care for you. We want to be involved in your life. We want to hold you accountable. And you ought to be holding us accountable. I'm not acting like as an elder team we're untouchable or anything like that. But I'm just saying that if we're commanded to shepherd you, that means you're commanded to be shepherded. And by the way, I'm a sheep as well. And my elders shepherd me. There's been more than one occasions when the elders have said, hey, Adam, let us talk to you for a moment. We want to help you out, you know, with this and this and this and this. Like help you out, like let us speak into your life. Like let us help you for a moment. You, you, you're helpful. And I'm like, bring it, boys. Come on. I like it. I need that, right? I, I need to be shepherded as well. And so we have responsibilities to, to be shepherding and to be shepherded. And this leads us right into really our, our, what I'm talking about, number three, is the, difficult, the difficulty of a lack of emphasis of membership. That's where we're at in today's culture. It, it, there's a great lack of emphasis where this question's asked, again, who, your next blank, who is shepherding who? Who is shepherding who? You know, several years ago, uh, I read an article about Passion City Church in Atlanta, pastored by Louis Giglio, which I, I have a lot of respect for him in, in a general sense, you know, over the years. And uh, he started a church, this is like, I don't know, this is probably eight years ago, called Passion City Church. Maybe you've heard of it. And I don't, I don't have a problem with them starting that church, but it was interesting because I read an article about it because I was interested in what was going on with Passion City Church. What is that? And in, in the article I read, I read about someone who attended that church and, and they said something like this, I, I love the worship at this church, but I go to my other church on the off Sundays. And I remember thinking to myself, on the off Sundays? And it was like, well, that church, to be fair, you know, was a large gathering and they didn't have a venue to meet. So they were meeting like once a month or every other week. And so this person's like, man, I'm there when they meet. And when they don't meet, I go to my other church. And part of me is like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And then part of me is like, well, what is that? Like, well, so which church are they at? You know, are they at Passion City Church or their home church? Like when it gets ugly, who steps in? Is the Passion City Church responsible in that moment for shepherding that, those attendees who have difficult things, or is it their, their home church that they go to on the off Sundays? I, again, I'm just saying that there's got to be some type of better understanding, and I'm not, I'm not trying to necessarily you know, tear down that church. I'm just saying this is what happens in our culture. The idea that we need to have a mindset, not so much of consumerism, but a mindset of belonging and accountability. This is what the Bible teaches, is what I'm saying. This is scriptural, that you need to be part of the flock that's being shepherded. In fact, maybe the most clear verse would be, turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It's got to be crystal clear in all of our minds this morning as we read exactly what it says, because it's not popularly practiced in your average evangelical church today, and that would be this. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them, comma, if you want to. Is that what it says? That's how most people read it. Oh, well, you, you got to obey your leaders and submit to them if you agree with them. But if you don't agree with them, by no means are you ever accountable to anybody you don't agree with. But the scripture is clear. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. So that means I, I give an account, the elders give an account for those that we shepherd. And please understand, we are not perfect elders. And I also am responsible to be shepherded by my elders, as I told you. But there has to be this understanding of, you know what? 
I've got to submit to authority. Just like children submit to their parents and just like a wife in a marriage submits to her husband and just like citizens submit to the government, right? There's that idea that the church membership submits to the God-appointed elders of the church and, and this ought to be something that you let them, the rest of the verse says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Now, I'll confess to you, sometimes in the elder meetings, we have joy as we rejoice over God's work in a marriage or in a life or in a transformed freedom of a broken, you know, a broken uh, uh, thing that is now healed. And we're just like, man, praise God, that's joyful. And there's other times we get together and we groan because of separation or divorce or ongoing sin or alcoholism or, you know, or, or whatever is out there. It's like we understand those things are, are so sad, right, to deal with. But it says to them, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So it's saying to church members, there's no advantage whatsoever for you to be on an island, be your own man, your own woman, outside of any authority, and just to kind of live your Christian life, whatever you think is best. Now, I get it. I understand. I already read through in the beginning. There's churches that have had splits and that haven't gone well, pastors that have been immoral, embezzled money. So if all that happens, you know, all bets are off. If the eldership can be shown to be in clear sin, clearly heretical or sinful, unrepentant sin, then you should leave, right? Absolutely, you should leave. It'd be like, you know, it doesn't matter. I remember I talked to a guy one day, one day and he told me the church that he attended uh, was going to discipline their family because they didn't homeschool. That's what he told me. He said, hey, Adam, what am I supposed to do? I go to this church. They believe in homeschooling. And uh, they told our family, because our family does public school, that if we didn't put our kids in, in, out of public school into homeschool, they're going to discipline us out of the church. What should I do? What do you think I said? Run! Bye-bye! Get out of there! I mean, that might be a strong preference. There could be lots of arguments made of why maybe that's what you do for your family and praise the Lord if that's what you do, right? But you can't make that a mandate for all families everywhere. So I told him, run, that's not a healthy church. He said, yeah, but they're going to discipline me. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like they could do whatever they want. You're accountable to God. So let's not forever forget that, right? Ultimately to God. But the problem is people apply that to just about anything. Oh, well, I don't like the fact they think I should stay in this marriage and I shouldn't stay in this marriage. Now, I know it gets really sticky. There's, it's hard to discern through lots of counseling and meetings with the husband and the wife about how to approach all that. But we certainly want to dig in, right? To dig in and try to assess what's going on. So my question is, who is the flock of God that is supposed to be shepherded? And I would say that's church membership. And that's why we do church membership here because we care about, B in your outline, who is accountable to who? Who is accountable to who? Who do I give an account for? I certainly don't want to, you know, I mean, what happens is people that attend, but they don't become members when they get into a situation that's a little bit sticky and me or one of the other elders approaches them. Do you know what they say to us? Oh, I'm not a, there you go. And as soon as they say that, they feel like that's their get out of jail free card. Oh, I'm not a member. You can't, you can't do that to me. And I'm like, yeah, but we still love you and we still want to talk to you. That's right now. We just appealing to your soul. But eventually, we may have to move forward with more discipline in the sense of we're talking now about, uh, let's, let's move on because I'm, I'm already out of time. Number four, all right, number four, the decision to join as a member of a local church. I could give you a long list of things to think about in a church, but here's the summary of them. A, biblical theology in the preaching, worship, and ministries of the church. So if you want to join as a member, what you're looking for is biblical theology. In other words, does the church stand on the gospel, right? Does the church stand on the truth of the Trinity and the the inspiration of Scripture and the infallibility of Scripture? And I have a long list of all the things, but I'm just going to understand, think that you understand what I'm saying. Is it built on good teaching that's accurate to Scripture? Number two, this isn't in your notes, but I said uh, under biblical theology, I said uh, expository preaching, explaining the text and exhorting others to follow the text, worship to ascribe value to God and to do so in a way that would be you know, Christ-centered and, and spirit-filled minister or a servant of the Lord, that churches that have good theology ought to understand that we're all called to be faithfully involved in ministering uh, as, as, as the church. And, and that's, we, we should be looking for those things, biblical preaching, biblical worship, and biblical ministry. 
That's what I'm trying to say. And then B, your next outline uh, blank does say this, biblical emphasis on the ordinances of the church, baptism and communion, as well as church discipline. So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, we're talking a little bit further about the, the difference between the universal church and the local church. Let me see if I can just do it quickly, more in a summary fashion. But in Matthew 16, when you know Jesus meets with his disciples and who do people say that I am? I'm in verse 13 and following, Matthew 16, 13. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And some said John the Baptist, some said Elijah, some said Jeremiah, some said one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And remember Peter said in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my... Church, that's the first place in the Bible. This is always a, you know, a question I ask in the new membership class. And, and um, it would just say, hey, where's the first place in the Bible where the word church is? Most everybody goes to Acts 2 because we emphasize a lot that church began at Pentecost. And I said, well, actually, Jesus talked about church. And you're like, well, was there a church before, G- before the church? Well, Jesus is talking about it, right? He says, I will build my church. And he's talking about he'll build his church on Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. And when Jesus says it's on that confession, that rock, that solid statement conviction that Peter correctly understood, he says, that's what I'm building my church on. Question, when Jesus says that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail, is he talking about the global church or is he talking about a local church? And I would answer that question in this context and say, I think he's talking about the global church, the universal church. As long as is that the confession of Christ being the cornerstone, then the church exists. So Jesus is acknowledging there is a global universal church. And then if you turn with me two chapters further to Matthew 18, we see where Jesus talks about the word church again. In Matthew 18, 15 and following, it's the passage on church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If, if he does not listen, take uh, one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So that's step one and then step two of church discipline. And then step three and four, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Question. In that context, is Jesus talking about the universal church or the local church? So he's talking local, right? When we do church discipline, we don't blabber out that person's sin to all of Santa Clarita. Because we're not trying to shepherd all of Santa Clarita. We're trying to shepherd this church. And if there's someone in unrepentant sin in this church, whatever that sin may be, after appealing to that individual in kindness and love and with patience, then we would move forward to a step three to discipline him in or her in this church. Right? And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile tax collector. Step four, they're put out of the church. They're, they're assumed to be an unbeliever, like, like a Gentile or a tax collector in Scripture is referenced as unbelievers. So the idea is, in, in, a, in a healthy way, Jesus taught baptism, he taught communion, and he taught church discipline. You know he taught baptism in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. He taught communion on the, the last night before he was crucified, take and eat, this is my body, drink it, all of you. Um, So he talks about communion, he talks about baptism, he talks about church discipline. I'm saying to you this morning, if a church is not regularly practicing these things, and, and the only ordinances that we would acknowledge would be baptism and the Lord's table, but church discipline is a close third to say if a church isn't practicing as well church discipline, then I'm gonna say it's not a New Testament church church has to be doing that. Preaching the gospel, practicing the ordinances, and I would argue practicing church discipline in order to faithfully carry out the teaching that Christ gave about his church, his bride. And so your next blank says biblical shepherding in the body of the church. There ought to be a lot of biblical shepherding. This is what I'm talking about, another word for accountability, another word for teaching, another word for admonishment, another word for discipleship, another word for counseling. Biblical counseling, whenever I say that term, that's all I mean. It's just everything from evangelism to discipleship and accountability to love and serve one another by leaning in. That's what we're trying to do here at this church. And then number five, 
just quickly, the decision to leave a local church, probably didn't expect this in a message of why you should join a local church, but there are reasons that maybe you should leave. A, should be based on obvious neglect of the statements above. So if someone's not preaching the gospel, they don't practice biblical baptism, communion, or discipline, then I would say you ought to leave that church. It's not healthy for you. Number two, should be based on honest prayer and God's leading. This is me giving just a little bit of wiggle room because there are some churches that say if you leave our church, we're going to discipline you for any reason. We don't do that. People come to me all the time. We're going to go to this church or that church. There's lots of great churches, as you know, here in Santa Clarita. And I just say, oh, man, that's, that's so sad. I mean, I'm happy for you, but I'm sad you're leaving. I want to exhort you to consider staying because of ABC. But if you're telling me based on your prayer, your family, and your walk of life, I, I can't keep you here. You understand that, right? I can't keep you here. So we're not going to be legalistic like that. But we still want to be careful. Next one, next blank. It shouldn't be based on unresolved sin issues. So if the reason they're leaving is because their son going on and they're, they're unresolved, that's not a healthy reason to leave. And then D, I, I think it should be communicated clearly to the elders. There's so many times we're going through our membership role and we're like, are they still here? Are they not here? Why don't you call them? At least let us know that you're leaving and why you're leaving. And I don't necessarily need a long, you know, when I, when I was a younger pastor, I would plead for people, just come into my office. Let's talk about it, man. And they would come in and we'd talk for an hour and they'd already decided to leave. And Ellen, that's not a good idea because then they started just throwing in the kitchen sink. Oh, we're leaving because of this. We don't like you. We don't like your preaching. We don't like the worship. We don't like the children's. Okay, I got it. I got it. You guys can go. You know, it's like, <laughs> I heard enough, you know. No, but in an ideal situation, you wouldn't just leave without communicating. That's what we would call in the olden days a church letter, right? And that you're, that you're leaving in good standing which is what we would want to uphold that, that idea, so it should be communicated. All right, so a, a, a phone call, or if you wanna have a meeting, that's certainly possible. Uh, take home, the take home from this, we would encourage every regular um, attender to become a formal member. I've said it before, we don't really like regular attenders because regular attenders stop one step short of membership, which means they can bounce if it gets hot. And it's just not healthy. That's like basically saying, um, we're gonna live together, but we're not having a covenant of marriage. Is that healthy? I don't think so. I don't think it's healthy to be like, well, we go there, but we're not really part of there. It's just not healthy. So jump in or move on to somewhere where you can jump in. Uh, your next one says, we want to be the kind of church that shepherds each other graciously, not only as elders, but as members, one another. One another. We're not a cult. I promise you, we're not. We're just a caring body that cares about what's going on in your life. And then number three, we always strive to stick to our mission statement. Um, you know, we exist to reveal the glory of God through our worship of him, our work of service to one another, and our witness to the world. That's our purpose statement. And then our mission statement says we commit our pulpit, our leadership, people, and programs, and its resources to word-centered teaching for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and love and excellence to the building up and maturing of the body of Christ into to the fullness of him, Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. So basically, my encouragement to you after hearing this sermon is become a member. We have a new membership class starting next week, and we're asking you to register online. Come sit in the class. If you decide you don't want to be a member, you don't have to. You can, you can wait or you can go somewhere else. But don't just keep vacillating and being a consumer. Jump into a healthier biblical view of being a part of that, that invisible church of a local body because hopefully you've seen throughout our time together this morning, it's important and it's part of the understanding. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, then we want to invite you after this last song. We'll have a few people standing right here. And we want to share with you the beginning of being a part of a church is being in Christ's body. And we would love to share with you more about that. And so let me pray for us and we'll transition to our last song. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, be together here in this church. And we desire to honor you with the way that we approach um, our ministry and our, our membership. And we do have a, a formal membership here because we think that's important. And, and I know maybe not every church does, but we certainly want to practice the principles that we've seen in your word this morning in a way that would be consistent, that would be done humbly and done according to um, your word and, and, and an effort to worship and to walk in obedience to the scripture of God. So bless our body, our members who are here, those who are considering becoming members. I pray that maybe this message would just encourage them to go ahead and jump in, whether it's here or another like-minded church, just where they could be a true part of a local body. God, so thank you for your love for us through Christ. May we sing to him now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.